Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk crossovers. Let's talk dimes. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk rumor. Let's talk opinions. Let's talk truth. Let's talk future, let's talk present, let's talk past, fundamentals and flash. Me running the flow, Stanko running the show like a young Steve Nash. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Great Point Podcast. This is the Great Point Podcast, part of the B-Ball Breakdown Podcasting Network. I'm Adam Stanko. Matt Walsh is back on the show today. Matt, of course, the former Florida Gator and member of the Miami Heat. He's going to give me some insight on what makes Steph Curry so great. And we're also going to try to figure out why there's been so much parity in college basketball this year. And at the end of my interview with Matt, I've got an ode to the game of basketball. So, Matt Walsh, welcome back to the Great Point Podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's been too long. It has been too long. That That is true, Matt. Um, you know, it's weird. Every time I speak to you, I want to talk about some different subjects, but it seems like it's inevitable that we have to go back to the Warriors because of the historical season that we're seeing Steph Curry in particular, but the Warriors on the whole having. And I wanted to ask you, first off, what do you find to be the most fascinating part of what you've seen from Steph Curry this year? I mean, I feel like every time you watch Steph Curry – you could just pick any number of things because he's just going to wow you in so many ways. But I mean, the fact that he, I mean, the the last count I saw, he was, I think 36 for 53 from shots, like 26 feet or 30 feet and over. He's so outrageous (laughs) that I don't think anybody, unless, you know, like you're very deeply involved in the game, you can even realize just how insane that is. It's a better probability. He should shoot those shots more than he should shoot layups. It's crazy. I mean, it, there's just no no way to put it in words. Watching that Oklahoma City Thunder game the other night, as soon as I saw that, you know, that Oklahoma City wasn't going to be able to take the final shot, I mean, in my head I'm thinking, all right, for sure, Steph's hit the game winner. And I haven't felt like that since Jordan, really. I haven't. I, you haven't felt that way about, the play, about a player since Michael Jordan. Is there another player in NBA history that's going to pull up with three seconds left from that deep um, just to have the cojones to do that <laughs> instead of driving in to get even a closer shot. And then the fact that you've got a defender that's guarding this guy. Uh, Matt, have we seen anything like this? No, the fact that anybody would have the balls to, to give Rosen a hard time about not guarding someone two steps over half court should just give everybody <laughs> an idea of just how insane Steph Curry is. I mean, that right there. No, we've never seen anything like this. Not only shooting with range, but range off the dribble. I mean, people lose that sometimes, the shots that this guy is making. They're not just catch and shoot. Um, you know, some like other great shooters in NBA history, even Ray Allen and Reggie Miller, 
they did most of their damage off the dribble. And I mean, uh, from catch and shoot. I mean, right. no, there's never right. been anything like this. It's I think it's the most dangerous. It's the most dangerous weapon that there's ever been in the NBA. Steph Curry shooting off the dribble right now. What we're seeing is I don't. I mean, I know they're getting a lot of attention and stuff, but I don't think people are fully grasping the greatness of what we're seeing. The the toughness of the shots he's making, the efficiency at which he's shooting, distance that he's shooting from, and the fact that he's just smashing these records. I mean, it's literally, he he should pull up on the break from 30 feet every time because he's going to get more <laughs> points out of that than going in for a wide-open layup. The fact that you can say that with such a big sample size is just bonkers. There's just no way to put it into words, especially being a former player who was a decent shooter compared to Steph, just okay. And to see what he's doing, it's awesome. From Coming from another shooter watching him, it's awesome. You're beyond just an okay shooter. I think let's, you know, make that, that point. I mean, you were one of the top shooting guards in the country uh, your senior year of high school. So there's no question. And then what you did at the college level, certainly. And and playing in the NBA as a guy that, that could be a catch-and-shoot guy and also who could shoot – off the dribble. And, and to me, that's what's so fascinating because, you know, you have these comparisons that people want to make. Steve Nash, obviously part of the, you know, sort of consultant uh, on the Golden State Warriors. And so we hear about what Steve Nash has done because, again, it's off the dribble that makes him so deadly. Chris Jackson at LSU went on to be Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf in the NBA because he was a smaller guy who could dribble and just a very prolific shooter himself. Um, and Pistol Pete Maravich, obviously, is, is another name that just keeps coming up because, of the, again, the creativity and doing it off the bounce. There are all these great shooters in NBA history, but guys to be able to do it off the dribble, this is what I've been curious about. When you played and J.J. Redick was, was sort of the same way, when you guys were making shots, people, and even when you weren't, actually, because you were such deadly shooters, the defense feared you guys so much that – whenever you were going around screens and you'd catch the ball on the wing, you had defenders that were charging out towards you and making sure that they challenged your shot, got a hand up. And because of that, it seems like the, the playing field was sort of shifted in your favor. So you were a step quicker, a step faster. You could do a sidestep dribble and pull up. You could just blow by them. And the game seemed to be so much easier when it's the primary ball handler, the advantage you have over the defense. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to even measure just how impossible it is to guard Steph right now. Just like you said, I mean, when you are a threat to shoot, it makes not only everything for you easier, but everything for everyone on the court easier. I mean, defenses have to hedge out harder. If you come off a, you know, a staggered screen, the the last defender has to jump all the way out to make sure you can't catch and shoot, to make sure that Steph can't catch and shoot. Because if you catch and shoot, it's automatic. And not to mention the fact that now he's dribbling the ball up the court, and if you don't guard him two feet over the half-court line, he's going to pull up and make a three-pointer. I mean, it's insane. And he opens up so much for that team. I mean, earlier in the year, I mean, even when we spoke, I talked about, you know, some other teams that I thought I had a, that had a chance to win it all. Right now, if I had to bet my life savings, I'm betting every dollar I have on Golden State Warriors. <laughs> I, I think that's a, a safe bet, I, which is crazy to think about. But I think it, it is a safe bet. And then you've got alongside Steph, obviously, Clay Thompson is playing with him, who is also one of the best shooters we've seen in this generation. So to have both of those guys on the floor, how does that stretch a defense out? The reality is you can't leave Clay for a second 
but it's almost like pick your poison and you're you're damned if you do damned if you don't no matter how well how how you play because they play so unselfish and so well together that Steph I mean I remember watching that Oklahoma City game the other night and Steph ended up with 46 points but the first seven or eight minutes of that game I don't even know if he took a shot you know he may have taken one shot he just eases into the game and he knows that that he has controlled the ball and that his guys have 100% confidence in him. He can take any shot he wants. And when a player knows that his team really believes in him and his team, he can take any shot and nobody on the team is going to say anything. And Clay Thompson's the same way. That's the ultimate confidence. It's a great way to play. And those guys just feed off each other. It just looks like they're having mm-hmm. one of those special seasons that, you know, I, I, I think now that they're going to break the Bulls record. And I think that, you know, they're going to, I, I think they're going to win it all. Yeah, they seem to win every close game. I mean, when it gets down to crunch time, and look, part of it's luck. That, that plays a role in some things, but also you do create your own luck, and we've seen that from these guys time and time again, the confidence that they they seem to be playing with. Yeah, I mean, you can tell. I mean, they expect to win every single game, and there's just a different feeling with them than any other team, even the Spurs um, and Oklahoma City. I mean, the, the other top teams in the league, Cleveland, they don't go out. They just look different and they are playing with such a high level of confidence. And I think if you're going to ever break a record like that, 72 and 10, you're certainly going to have to have a good deal of luck. And I think that Golden State has had that, you know, they won some tight games against Philadelphia that other teams may have lost, or I think that goes into it. But when you have Steph Curry and as unselfish as they play and they play such good defense every night, you know, you're going to be in every game and have a, when you have the best player in the world on your team, you're going to win more than you lose. Matt, how much is their defense uh, attributed to the fact that teams are trying to keep up with them, that there's some psychological advantage to dominating an opponent on, on the offensive end. And so the feeling of the other team is we have to come back and score right along with you. Yeah, for sure. That plays a huge role into it. I mean, I've played against teams like juggernauts like that in Europe, Early in my career, Panathinaikos, last year, Fenerbahce, some of these big teams in Europe. And when you know that you have such a small margin of error, it makes every possession feel so important. You play a little bit tight. I mean, that game, I, I, mean, I keep going back to that game the other night just because Steph was so amazing. But that Oklahoma City, they jumped out by 15 or 17 points, whatever it was. And never once did you feel like, oh, man, Golden State's in trouble. And I can't remember a team any time recently that – felt like that like you just absolutely knew that it was going to be like three or four possessions in a row Steph and Clay would hit some shots they would get three or four stops in a row and it was going to be a tie game and I think 10 minutes later is a tie game uh it's got to be psychologically terrible for the other teams knowing that you make one or two mistakes against them and it's like a six or a 10 point swing so fast just just crazy there's there's just almost nothing more to say about just the greatness that is Steph Curry right now and and the rest of the, the Golden State Warriors. Matt, just bear with me a moment as uh, I want to tell the people listening that you know the feeling. You're staring at your weekly fantasy opponent and thinking to yourself, I would love to challenge just one of his players, not his entire team, but your fantasy sports service doesn't allow you to. Well, now you can on the all-new No Halftime app. The No Halftime app allows you to create individual challenges using players or teams. For example, you can pit Steph Curry versus LeBron James, Kevin Durant versus James Harden, or even Sasha Vujicic versus Nikolai Vujicic. 
Creating a challenge takes seconds and accepting challenges, it's even easier. No halftime challenges can be private or public and created for, get this, the NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, college football, college basketball, and other sports. Join today and get started. Real money and fantasy supremacy awaits you. Visit NoHalftime.com for more information and to download the No Halftime app for your iPhone. Receive a $10 bonus by entering the promo code COACH at sign up. No Halftime, where the fantasy sports season never takes a break. Matt, I want to ask you about college basketball now. It is so remarkable to me to see the parity in college basketball. We just don't see, unlike the Golden State Warriors, this dominant team in in the NBA. Uh, That's what's servicing the NBA right now. But we're not seeing great teams at at the college level. And this is something I, I was wondering about when we came into the year. And now that, you know, we're into March, we really have not seen teams sustain any level of high, high quality play. So I guess the obvious question is why? Yeah, you know, I think there's been a huge drop off. And um, it's funny when you when you watch a, a game like that, that Oklahoma City Golden State game, and then you watch any college game, it's almost like tough to watch <laughs> because the level is just so down. But it's very interesting. I mean, you, you see a team like Villanova that is a lot of older guys. You know, they look great for stretches, and then and then they lose. And there's no there's no there's clearly no top team that's above everyone like Kentucky has been in years past. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that the the basketball purists would point to the fact that you know there's so many guys who are one and done, and I think that definitely has a role in it. But I don't know. I don't know why the level is down so much, but it clearly is. I mean, if you watch the college basketball product as a whole, um, a lot of games are tough to watch, at least for me. It, it's tough to watch the level of play overall in college basketball right now. Yeah, I've always been curious about that. So, you know, because we hear that sometimes, and it's it's funny, too. There are NBA fans and there are college basketball fans, and while you may have some crossover – People might watch maybe their favorite NBA team, but they're a college basketball fan. Or people that are, you know, NBA fans may watch, you know, they might have gone to Syracuse or something. So they'll watch a lot of Syracuse games. But but for the most part, you don't have people just strictly for no other reason than the fact that there's not enough time. But people that are hardcore NBA fans and hardcore college basketball fans, there aren't as many as, as you would think. They They usually choose, you know, one side or the other. And the people that are NBA fans always come back to that they always say hey well the quality of play at the college level just isn't that high and while I normally disagree with that this year as you're talking about you know I felt that way as well and you know I don't want to sound like the old guy you know get off my lawn but I do (laughs) feel like that times have changed and I just feel like this year is the most drastic because last year the top five or six teams Duke Wisconsin certainly Kentucky as you as you mentioned that caliber of team would have run through this college basketball season. Am I right? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm shaking my head in agreement, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, it's kind of like a revolving door for number one. I mean, there's certainly some very talented players in college basketball, but as a whole, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just one of those fluke years, and, you know, next year we'll be talking about how amazing college basketball is again. I hope so. But um, overall, yeah, I mean, I mean it for me it's been like it's been tough to watch especially because right now the NBA product is so good. I'm curious from a player's perspective and I've I've asked you this before but I'm always fascinated by the subject. 
What do you find is the difference in that caliber of play between the NBA and the college game in terms of what guys are doing differently on the court? Well, the first thing that jumps out at me is just the NBA being an athlete in college is so much different than being considered an athlete in the NBA. The best the best athlete in college is typically an average NBA athlete. So the game is just so much more athletic. So, you know, in 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 the NBA, you know, your, your front line is going to be six eight, six nine, six eleven, seven foot. <laughs> That's going to be the front line. Mm-hmm. So just the size is a huge difference. But you know, in the NBA, that it's all you do is work on your game. It's all you do is work on basketball and it's just a hundred percent full-time job. And I think you see that the players are just more sound fundamentally. They, everything is, it's like automatic. And I think for whatever reason, it's just been, it's sloppy right now in in college basketball. And maybe I'm just speaking because my Gators have been so bad this year. (laughs) And that's fresh. That game last night is fresh in my mind, which was hard to watch, but, um, yeah, I mean, the, the product, uh, it, it's just different. And um, people don't realize just how good guys in the NBA are. I mean, you know, top-level college guys have a really hard time <laughs> making it in the NBA, you know. So it, it's just – it's really, really hard. And I don't think that the average fan understands just how much higher you know, the level of an average NBA game is versus, you know, the top college basketball. How about the scouting? Yeah, I mean, that's another thing. In, the, in college, you know, you're, you know, you have a day or two to prepare. You watch video a few times, but in the NBA, you're playing the same teams, you know, at sometimes four times. You're expected to know it. You know, you're doing a sheet with their plays or, you know, you, you watch their video. You, you're supposed to, you, you have to know their in, your personnel inside and out. And really, an NBA season, you know all the other teams' plays. You, you know what they're going to run. You know the Cavs are going to get the ball to LeBron. You know what Golden State's going to do. And, Really, it's just a matter of execution. But the scouting, I mean, the NBA has advanced scouts going, and everything is a higher level. Go back to your year with the Heat and just that early on experience. What was your first, wow, this level is completely different moment that you had? Well, two jumped into my mind immediately. Um I remember, uh, like, right before the start of training camp, or maybe it was during training camp, uh, we were playing pickup where it was either a scrimmage in practice, and Shaq, for some reason, got mad at, at something. <laughs> I don't know if it was Stan Van Gundy was on his butt or something happened, and Shaq got mad. And Shaq just started dunking every single time he got the ball over a long more. And it was like over Alonso. Over Alonso who was one of the best centers in NBA history. I mean, it was like no matter what anybody did, Shaq just dunked like 10 times in a row until he calmed down. And obviously that's an extreme because Shaq, in my opinion, is the best center in NBA history. So that was just like, oh, my God, like this is incredible. The other one was trying to guard Dwayne Wade at practice one day, and he did his, you know, standard right-to-left cross, and I think my knee touched the floor. <laughs> and I went over on the sideline, and Shaq was like, yeah, it's good. You should take a break after that one. And that, that was a pretty sobering moment considering uh, – but like I said, I mean, at least both moments were Shaq and Dwayne Wade, two of the best to ever do it. But um, they were uh, two moments that woke me up that, you know, it was a different level than what I was used to. Okay, so then the follow-up to that is how do you build your confidence up when that's the case? Um, well, 
I was very lucky in that on that team we had a lot of veterans and I had guys like Jason Williams, Antoine Walker, Jason Capono who kind of took me under their wing and were very positive. And the coaching staff, that was when Spolster was an assistant, um, Keith Askins, I was working with those guys in and out. And I mean, at that time, I was playing at such a high level, higher than I have ever played. So I was really confident. And at the same time, I, mean, I knew that this is Dwayne freaking Wade. Like, nobody in the NBA can guard him. So I certainly am not expected to be able to guard him in practice. So I, my feelings <laughs> weren't hurt at all. It was I just kind of laughed it off like, I was, I was not uh, hurting. I didn't lose any sleep over Dwayne Wade crossing me over, that's for sure. But, I mean, I guess in general terms, though, I, you're going out there and all of a sudden you talk about these guys athletically are at a completely different level than you're used to. That You know, you're used to being, you know, one of the best shooters in the country. You come in and all of a sudden there's probably, you know, guys on the bench that are can shoot the basketball just as well as you can. Some guys may be shooting it better than you can. You know, Shaq physically just incredibly imposing. So if that's the case, how is it that you continue to keep your confidence up? And obviously something you did throughout your career, you know, having a great run over in Europe. You know, for me, the athleticism thing wasn't as much of a shock because I was never used to being the top athlete. I had always used, you know, craftiness and my shooting ability to get by. So that really didn't change all that much in the NBA. For me, the hardest thing for me in terms of confidence stuff was just not playing. It was going from being, you know, one of the top guys at Florida to playing, you know, sitting on the bench in Miami. And then, you know, the next year um, I went to preseason with the New Jersey Nets and I was playing with guys like Vince Carter and Richard Jefferson on the wing. Um, So the hardest thing for me was not playing. But in terms of confidence, uh, I mean, I can only speak about myself, but I never really lost confidence because, in practice and in shooting drills and everything we're doing, I was performing and I was doing what, what I needed to do. Um, but I mean, I can imagine that guys that, you know, are really athletic that go in and they, they're used to using their athleticism. And then, you know, everyone on the court is just as athletic as them. That's gotta be a sobering moment. It's gotta be pretty tough uh, because, you know, there's, there's no getting around that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Matt, last question that I have for you and you referenced you know your time at, at florida um and it refers back to the to the curry stuff anthony roberson is a guy who to me if anthony roberson was playing at his highest level and this was a guy that was you know an all-american in high school and all that and had a, a wonderful career at florida but if if anthony roberson was at his highest level like what he dreamed to be i sort of picture that roberson is Steph Curry now, like, like dream season, you know, obviously this is a dream season for Steph. He's doing things that he didn't do at the college level. So uh, I'm curious, have you spoken to Anthony Roberson about what Steph's doing? I'm not saying their games are like complete matches, but I, but I do think that if you're going to take a guy, an obscure player from, from college basketball, who, you know, everything breaks right. And he, he all of a sudden becomes a, a video game character like Steph has become Anthony Roberson's a guy, and you played with him. So I'm curious as to whether you've talked to him and what he said about what Steph's doing. Yeah, I mean, I have not talked to Anthony specifically about Steph, but just to comment on it, I mean, Anthony is one of the most talented guys I've ever been around. He, he, you know, he was a lot like Steph. Like you said, I mean, the ability to shoot off the dribble, the ability to shoot with range. Um, I mean, Anthony was super athletic. He was phenomenal. And, you know, there are a lot of comparisons there. It's a very good comparison. 
I just think what Steph has been able to do and turn up his game, it, I mean, just how much better he's gotten. I don't know if we've ever seen anyone get that much better from their, you know, rookie sophomore year uh, to what he is now. I mean, I don't think anyone could have seen this coming. Uh, I mean, a, a few years ago when he signed his extension, I think he's making 13 or 14 million now. A lot of people were worried that, you know, that they were overpaying him because he had bad ankles and stuff. And now it's the best contract <laughs> in the NBA. So I think Steph is just a very, very unique case um, in that he, at a at a later age, was able to get so much better everywhere. I mean, ball handling, shooting, shooting with range. It's incredible. He gets better every year. It, it, I guess it's a testament to how hard he works because it, it's it's really awesome to watch. Yeah, I think it's a testament to how hard he works and also how things have broken for him. I mean, the, he's the son of an NBA player. You know, um, the the three finalists for the you know three point shootout this year were all sons of NBA players. Him, Clay Thompson, his father's Michael Thompson, and then yeah. uh, Devin Booker, who Melvin Booker had a, a stint in the NBA. So, so there's certainly something to be said for both pedigree and the fact that you've got this unbelievable coaching uh, at a young age. But then I think, look, I mean, Bruce Frazier, who's on the Warriors staff and I've interviewed him for the Great Point podcast. Bruce has, you know, worked out and coached Steve Nash. Uh, he's worked out and, and helped to coach Reggie Miller. He's been around Steve Kerr. Uh, you know, he Bruce Frazier used to work out Steve Kerr when he was playing. They played together at Arizona. So Frazier's on that staff. Steve Kerr is the coach of the Warriors. Steve Kerr, obviously one of the greatest shooters in NBA history. So in a lot of ways, it, it's been kind of a, a weird thing to see this evolution and how, yes, Steph obviously has worked so hard on his game, but it's funny that the people around him, and I'm sure he would give them all credit, and he has, uh, but just the, the staff and the coaches he's come across. And then something else, actually, Matt, I lied to you. I told you that was going to be the last question, but in the NBA right now, okay. we're, seeing, we're seeing the dominance that Steph's displayed. Uh, we've now seen also what Damian Lillard has done since the All-Star break, which is truly exceptional in itself. He's scoring at an incredibly high clip and another guy that's playing with supreme confidence. I'm curious about the idea and that mid-major point guards who have been facing double teams at the mid-major level and such come to the NBA and then they have this success. What's the story behind that? I think a lot of it, and a lot of it you touched on, is for sure some of Steph's success has to do with the fact that he has been given 100% free reign there. I mean, he can do what he wants, when he wants, and Dame Lillard too. I mean, to have that freedom, and to touch on what you said, I mean, they had they, these guys have had that freedom their whole lives, from high school to mid-major. You know, they were the entire show at their mid-majors. They were able to do it, and they've never really had to change their games. That's that's been what they're allowed to do their whole life. And uh, for a lot of guys, that changes. You know, you go from being the man in college, you go to the NBA, and you start as a role player, you have a certain job. And these guys have total freedom. And the confidence that comes along with that and just the ability to play the way you have your whole life definitely benefits both of them. And, yeah, I mean, I had never really thought about it that way, but that's a really interesting way to look at it, that, you know, these are mid-major guys that dominated at that level. And, you know, they, they got used to playing that way, dominating, dominating the ball, being total freedom on the court. And it translates to the NBA. And it's a really interesting theory. I mean, if, if I was a, an NBA GM, I'd be looking hard at that 
<laughs> come come draft time. I'm I'm sure that they that they are. Um, they're much smarter than I am, Matt. I always appreciate your time, buddy. It's so great to talk to you, and we are going to be doing this very soon again. Sounds good. Thank you, Adam. Big thank you to Matt. He always, always delivers. And as I referenced off the top of the show, I just want to give an ode to basketball. And what's behind this is just had a doctor visit today for my, my knee. I had uh, what I thought was some type of tear that I had been putting off for way too long. I'm 39 years old and I've been putting off getting my knee checked out. And it turns out that basically what I've got going on is some cartilage tearing. I've got some bone chipping, essentially what I was told, no surgery, so that's a positive, and I appreciate that, but also that it's basically old age. And while I'm not that old, I can see the, the light at the end of the tunnel for playing basketball. And while I didn't get to play at the level that, that Matt Walsh played, it's still been such an integral part of my life and something that's been so important to me for just so long. I remember being introduced to the game at the age of seven or eight, and then playing on the youth level in, in rec leagues and then playing in summer camp where I have so many great memories of, of my time going up to Norwich University in Northfield, Vermont for the Casey Jones All-Pro Basketball School. Had some great times there, you know, meeting coaches and, and guys who went on to have some, some nice college careers and, and, and playing at that, that level against guys from all over the country really, uh, you know, flocked to to that camp. And it was like so many other summer basketball camps I attended. And I spent my summers at basketball camp. That's what we did. We played ball over the summer and we weren't playing, you know, in our driveways or at the local courts. We, we were at basketball camp trying to work on our game, but there was a camaraderie that was created early on that obviously as with this podcast exists to this day, you know, and then it's on to, summer leagues and obviously so many games of pickup basketball, which I love so much and adult leagues. And now it's, it's coming to the end. I, I don't even get a chance to play pickup very much. And I realized that there aren't that many basketball playing days left for me. And well, it's not the same feeling as a, as a guy in the NBA retiring. We spoke to Rex Chapman a couple months ago about what he went through when, when he retired and guys with longtime NBA careers. But for those of us that love the game, it's, it doesn't mean that we're going to miss it any less and care about it any less. And, and that's the thing. It's, it's, it's been such a huge part of my life. And to not be able to play, it just hurts. And it's just crazy to think that it's all coming to an end. And Maybe it speaks towards this bigger picture about how short life is. But for me, I care about the game so much. I care about the friendships that have been created, jobs that I've gotten, the confidence that it's given me. And again, just the people that I've met through my own basketball journey and, and so many people and guests of the podcast that have been sprinkled through, through my life. And basketball is never going to go away. It's always going to hold a special place in my heart playing it that is going to stop at a certain point. And I think ultimately that's what I, what I learned today at the doctor is that it's true. At one point I'm going to have to stop playing. And I think that that point is coming sooner rather than later. So basketball, thank you. Thank you. And uh, I thank you for listening to this podcast. You guys are great. I, I can't thank you enough for, for what we've been doing both for, with the great point podcast and also a big picture level on B-ball breakdown coach Nick's the best. Big shout out to him for uh, allowing me to be a part of, of all this. And of course, 
want to thank our sponsor, the No Halftime app. Really appreciate you jumping on board. And please hit me up on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at NaismithLives. Maddie Vincent, 44. That's Matt Walsh's Twitter. As always, thank you so much. We'll catch you next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.